and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The last time that we gave any extended conversation concerning this chapter and concerning the Lord's table was actually 12 years ago. And I thought that it would be good as we celebrate this ordinance of the Lord's table to remember the purpose and intent of this ordinance. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, our text is verses 23 through 26, but I want to begin at the beginning of the section in verse 17 down through the end of the chapter. Paul writes to this church, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. In the remaining manners, I will arrange when I come. 
The church at Corinth, if you are aware, was a mess. The church there had been divided in many factions and in many forms. They were divided in following certain preachers and abstaining from following others. They were divided in their opinions one of another. They were divided concerning certain things of taking one another to law. They were divided even over the exaltation of spiritual giftedness. They would take a spiritual gift of the Lord, one that was active back in those early apostolic days, that is the gift of tongues, and they would elevate that and say that this is the gift. The church was really in a struggle and trouble. And they were divided over the Lord's table. And what was occurring here in this church is that they were dividing up around the Lord's table based on their background, their birth, education, wealth, and social status. And in that day, what they did was is that they would have a, we would call it a dinner, or they would have a church social. And then after that church social, they would perhaps have some speaking or whatever, but after that church social, they called it a love feast, they would actually have and celebrate the ordinance of the Lord's table. The church at Corinth had begun to merge those two things together. And not only that, but as I mentioned, they were divided in according to their wealth and social status so that whatever home that they were meeting in, there would be a kind of a host of that home. They didn't have church buildings like we have today. They would meet in the host of that home and they would have a dinner. And what would happen is, is that those who brought food would all get together and eat and those who could not bring food, that is the poor and others that didn't have, had to watch them eat and wait for them to eat in order to partake of the Lord's table. It was a division between the haves and the have-nots. And of course, Paul heard about that, and basically what he tells them is something that you and I probably have not given a lot of consideration to, and that is you can actually have a church service or a worship service that does not profit those who are attending that service. And we see that in verse 17. He says, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Why? Because you come together not for the, not for the better, but for the, for the worst. You can actually come to a church service and actually meet as a Christian body and leave not better, but but worse. And Paul, of course, said that these services were not being beneficial to the church body, that they were gathering not for edification and building up, not for the better, but for the worse. What was going on here? Well, I made mention about the haves and the have-nots, those who were wealthy and had food and those who didn't. But he says here, 
in verse 22, he says, look, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God? Do you count as little the church of God? And then, for those who have nothing, you didn't share with them. You actually withheld from them. And the Bible says, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? And so, here's a church that is definitely not partaking of this meal properly. Nor are they counting in a proper manner the church body as a whole. And they are divided between those who have and those who don't have, and they are shaming people who don't what? Who don't have. They are shaming the poor. This is not something that is new. This happens today, maybe not to this exact circumstance, but it happens today. Even the book of James will speak about that when the rich came into their services, they would give them the what type of seating? They would give them the best seating, and then for those who were poor or were not clothed properly, they would have them sit in the back, maybe not even on a chair, but on the floor. And they were despising who? They were despising the poor. Now, brethren, poor people that are saved are rich. And rich people who are saved are rich. They are rich in faith. They may not be rich monetarily. They may not be rich in social status. But they are rich because... They have been gifted the gift of faith through the preaching and proclamation and reception of the words of God. This church had not abandoned the Lord's Supper. They had not forgotten the Lord's Supper. But what they had lost was the purpose and the intent of the Lord's Supper. And that problem is a problem that you and I can experience. We actually can forget the purpose and the intent of the Lord's Supper. We can look at the Lord's Supper as a ritual. We can look at the Lord's Supper as not only a ritual, but as a means of grace. There are certain Christian denominations that see the Lord's Supper as the conveyance of grace. But really, the Lord's Supper is nothing more than a remembrance. It doesn't convey grace. These elements that we have here and that... Lord willing, we'll partake of in just a few minutes. They do not convey grace. The drinking of the fruit of the vine, the grape juice, it doesn't convey grace. They are symbols. And because they are symbols, it's easy for us to partake of something, especially when you do it on a regular basis. The early church did it. 
every time they met. It's easy to have it turn into something ritualistic or unthoughtful on our end and we just kind of go through the motions with it. Now what does Paul, in verses 23 through 26, what does Paul remind us of when when we're looking at the Lord's table? Number one, Paul says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. This ordinance of the Lord's table is directly instituted by the Lord. Now Paul was not in that upper room when the Lord instituted it in many accounts of the books of the Gospel. For example, in Luke chapter 22, Paul certainly was not there. But Paul had visions and appearances of the risen Lord to him. Paul, with the Apostle Paul, was actually taught directly from the risen Christ himself. That would be a gift and a privilege beyond all privileges. And our Lord actually handed over to Paul this ordinance. Look at it again. For I received not from the eleven apostles. For I received not from the church at Jerusalem. I received it from who? The Lord Himself. So this ordinance is a non-negotiable ordinance. Like baptism is a non-negotiable ordinance given to local New Testament assemblies. And it is from who? The Lord Himself. Secondly, this ordinance that Paul received from the Lord was delivered to local New Testament churches. You'll see that again in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, plural. This ordinance not only is not of men, but it was handed over to the Lord's body the church. It's not something that is delivered over to individuals. In other words, you just couldn't decide, hey, we're going to invite people over to the house and maybe a few relatives and I'm going to, you know, I can buy these elements and I can buy the grape juice and we'll put them in there and we'll just celebrate right there. It is to be celebrated with the church body. It is an ordinance of a local New Testament church administered by a local New Testament assembly. And Paul was faithful in his transmission of this ordinance to the churches. He says, I got it from the Lord and I delivered it to you when I came and that church was instituted and organized I delivered that over to you and told you that you are to keep it. 
So this is a non-negotiable. It comes from the Lord Himself. It came from the Lord to an apostle. And the apostle wrote it down for all the churches, including our church, for our church to keep that ordinance. The third thing that we see in verse 23 is that the original institution of this supper was on the same night that the Lord was handed over to evil people. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night, was in the darkness, in which He was betrayed, instituted this supper. They celebrated the Passover, and then our Lord instituted this supper. And it is whose supper? It is the Lord's supper. So it's not ours. We can't just do with it whatever we choose to do with it. We can't choose just to um, carry out that ordinance any way that we want to do it. It is the Lord's Supper, just like today is the Lord's day. A day uniquely owned by the Lord. This is a supper that is uniquely owned by Him. It has been given to local New Testament assemblies. And note, it says that it is His supper and it deals with He Himself. So in verse 24, when He was betrayed, when He gave thanks, verse 24, when He broke it, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of who? Him. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, He took the cup. This cup is in the New Testament. My blood, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of Me, Verse 26, you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until the Lord comes. So it's all about who? It's all about the Lord. Over and over and over and over, he says, this is all about me and your remembrance of me. Now what did he do in that night? Well, we've read it. Verse 24. When he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I think it's very obvious that the bread that is broken, does not become the literal body of Christ. Can we all agree with that? It was the Lord in His body that was actually passing out the physical bread. This is a symbol. It is a picture that we are to recognize as God's people. And it is a picture of 
that bread that is picturing His body. His body being broken. On whose behalf? Our behalf. It is broken for you. Now folks, what that means is, is that when we, we don't have a loaf of bread, I have been tempted so many times to make the wife of one of our deacons bake unleavened bread, put it here, and when our deacons passed that out, I would break it in half, and then they'd have to break it, and then they'd have to break it, and just not you taking it and breaking it. They would break it and give it to you so that you would actually see with your eyes the bread being broken. We have unleavened crackers. And when you take that cracker, you'll notice they're not all the same size because our men, I watched them, they took that and they did come out in sheets. And they took that and they broke it. But wouldn't it be wonderful, and I'm not saying we're doing it wrong, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we would see it being broken? So when you partake and you take of this unleavened bread, when you see that, you need to think this was a complete, as it were, body, and it was broken for you. Some churches in um, Eastern Europe, they actually take the bread and they break it. And you can actually hear the bread being broken if it's quiet enough so that they would know that. What is this bread picturing with His body being broken? It is picturing what we call the substitutionary atonement. Atonement means a covering. A covering of what? A covering of our sin. Substitutionary means is that Christ did this in my place. I deserved it, right? We deserve the punishment. We deserve the condemnation. We deserve the suffering. But the innocent Lamb of God became the substitute for us. Sin had to be paid for. When we talk about the gospel being free, we all know what we mean by that. It means you can be saved completely apart from works. It's by grace through faith. But it was not free. It cost our Savior His life. He was the Lamb of God. He was God's chosen Lamb. 
to take my place. Every cat of nine tails on the back of our Lord, I deserved. Every renting of His flesh, I deserved. Every shedding of His blood when they placed the crown of thorns on His head should have been blood that I shed. I am the one that deserved the cross. The most torturous instrument ever known to man to kill someone. And folks, even the thief on the cross recognized that. He began by railing, just like the other thief was, but something worked in his heart. He saw something. And he rebuked that other thief and he said, We deserve, but this man's done nothing wrong. It was the innocent suffering for the guilty. That's you and me. And folks, when we partake of this, what you should be bringing into your mind as you take that unleavened bread and as you remember His atonement, you should be remembering passages of Scripture that teach you about that atonement. And it will bring to your heart gratitude, a sincerity of thankfulness of this one who suffered in my place, who was my substitute. And folks, he went through all that. This is even hard to believe. He went through all that and never sinned one time. I don't think I would have made it through the first trial without sinning. He didn't sin in action. He didn't sin in thought. He didn't sin in heart or motivation. He was truly the innocent. He was the just dying for the unjust. So brethren, if we're going to really remember the purpose and intent of this supper, of this table, then we've got to have some battery of verses to be thinking upon when we break that bread, when we take that bread and we receive it, and we take that bread and we crush it under our teeth. We crush it under our teeth to remember His substitutionary atonement on our behalf. What a gift that is. Secondly, there is the cup. And in verse verse 25, it says, in the same way, meaning He gave thanks, and then He took the cup, And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the broken bread reminds us of the substitutionary atonement. Jesus gives thanks. He takes the cup. He drinks from the cup. And he shares the cup.
Now, there are some Christian denominations that actually do that. There's a common cup. <clears throat> we pour it in individual cups, but we have it in a tray representing the whole thing. And then we share it one with another, and then we partake of it together. This picture is a picture of Christ's body ratifying the new covenant with the shedding of His own blood. We won't take time, but in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 9, it talks about that the old Mosaic covenant was ratified with the shedding of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There had to be that shedding of blood. And folks, if His broken body is a substitutionary atonement, then in imagery, Christ's body was the cup itself which held His own blood. Just like our bodies, our blood is held in our own bodies. And folks, what a gift it is that someone who is innocent, someone who is perfect, perfect in his obedience, perfect in his suffering, perfect in thought and heart in every respect, pure, undefiled, perfect in his hatred of sin, gave his life's blood to ratify, to confirm, to bring into effectiveness, not the Mosaic Covenant, the new covenant that had been foretold by the Old Testament prophets. A covenant in which God Himself would write His law into our own hearts. He would teach everyone about Himself. Regeneration would be to anyone who believes. Male, female, boy, girl, adult, doesn't matter. And His Spirit would be given to these people. It is amazing to think about that. Especially when you and I did nothing to deserve it. In fact, every day we escalate the wrath of God and He still gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There is no God like that. What a gift. It is the Lord Himself who instituted this supper. It is the Lord Himself who gave it to the Apostle. It is by the Holy Spirit that it was written down for all the churches throughout all the church age. It's His unique supper. It's the remembrance of His unique body and the remembrance of His own blood 
how often should we do this? Well, the Scripture does not give to us a frequency. It just says, verse 25, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. How often should we do it? Often. That's what the Scripture tells us. Churches do it at different frequencies. I know of a former pastor, he's now with the Lord, a man that I highly respect. They had the Lord's table once a year. And they tried to have it as best as they could determine it on the exact same night that our Lord Himself would do it. Is that right or wrong? It's neither, right? That church body has determined here's how often we're going to do it and we're going to make it a solemn celebration and we're going to do it once a year. Most churches of my acquaintance do it once a month. We here do it once a month. On the first Lord's Day of the month, we typically celebrate the Lord's Supper. Some churches do it every service. There's not a lot that do it, but I have known of those who do it every service. None of that is right or wrong. It is as often as a church body will determine to celebrate it. But here's what is right or wrong. We must keep the purpose and intent of this supper properly. The church at Corinth was not doing it properly. And what happened? They fell under the judgment of Christ Himself. And this is what it means when it says, verse 28, excuse me, verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. The Scripture doesn't say that if you eat and drink unworthily, none of us are worthy, right? None of us ever are worthy in and of ourselves. But it is partaking of it in an unworthy what? Manner. And this is what the church at Corinth was doing. They were blending their dinner and the Lord's table together. And because of that, they were saying we were celebrating the Lord's table. And Paul categorically says, look in chapter 11, verse 20, Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. You're saying it's about eating the Lord's Supper, but you're not eating the Lord's Supper. And they were despising the church and they were counting as nothing the poor that was among them. They were partaking of it in an unworthy manner. 
And they were to examine themselves concerning that. If you look at verse 28, a man must examine himself and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. If you don't partake of this in a worthy manner, verse 29, you eat and drink judgment to yourself. Now that makes this sober, doesn't it? Because what was happening here at the church at Corinth? Look at verse 30. For this reason, many among you are weak, referring to being infirmed, and sick, and a number what? Sleep. That doesn't mean they're sleeping in the service. That means they what? They died. And evidently they themselves were not even aware of this. The Apostle Paul had to remind them of this. Now I'm not anticipating that tonight, if you partake of this, that you're going to leave here and tomorrow if you get sick, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's because you partook of this table in an unworthy manner. But it does add a sobriety to examination of ourselves, doesn't it? To make sure that when we partake of this, we are partaking of it in a worthy manner. Now how long are we to be doing this? Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death Until when? Until He comes. So how long is the church of Jesus Christ to celebrate this ordinance? Until He comes. And He is coming, isn't He? One day He's going to break through those clouds. And I pray that if you're a believer that you will not be ashamed at His coming, but that you will rejoice when you behold Him coming through those clouds. When Jesus Christ comes, there will be no more need for the picture. We will have the reality right here before us. So brethren, there is a real contrast between what Paul is saying about the Lord Jesus, His body, a contrast with that body and the body of the Corinthian church. Is the church the body of Christ? Yes. And there is the literal body of our Lord. Here's the contrast between the Corinthian church and our Lord's own body. Jesus voluntarily gave. The Corinthians were selfishly living for themselves. Our Lord loved His people unto death. The Corinthian church was exalting carnally 
fleshly over one another. Our Lord Jesus' lifestyle was sacrificial. The Corinthians church's lifestyle was worldly and selfish. Our Lord's conduct was forgiving. The Corinthians' conduct was despising. Our Lord lowered Himself for the poor. The Corinthian church shamed the poor. Our Lord Jesus in this supper pointed to Himself. The Corinthian church celebrated this meal pointing to the host of the home in which they were attending. In other words, that church was partaking in an unworthy manner. In fact, in a manner that was directly opposite to what the table was supposed to communicate. So is this supper just a ritual that our church does? The answer to that is no. Is the partaking of this bread a reception of grace? The answer to that is no. The Lord's Supper is about Him and remembering Him with the pictures, the symbols of His broken body, which represents what? Substitutionary what? Atonement. And His blood, which represents the forgiveness of sins and the ratification of that new covenant. These are the things that this table is supposed to preach to us. This table is going to preach to us as we partake of it. Different churches handle the Lord's table a little differently. But the way we handle this table here at Faith Memorial is that this table is not just for members of this church. It is His table. It's not Faith Memorial's table. It's His table. So if you're here and you are saved by His grace, you have His Spirit inside of you, and you have been scripturally baptized you are welcome to join us with this table. If you have a unity of heart with this congregation, you are welcome to join us with this table. And so what we want to do now as we prepare for this table is to bow our heads and close our eyes and do what the Scripture tells us to do, and that is to examine ourselves. We're to self-examine ourselves, 
We are to judge ourselves and we are to make sure that we are reconciled one with another. It's hard to celebrate the unity of the bread if there is disunity among the church. So we examine ourselves, we judge ourselves, and we make sure that we are reconciled one with another as we appear before this table. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's take a moment of silent prayer to do just that.